morning, everybody. It is great to see you. Hope you're having a great, amazing Sunday. We are continuing our series talking about living the uncommon life, that God doesn't want us to go by status quo, uh, but he wants us to live with a dimension of heaven in our lives, uncommon compassion, uncommon character, and uncommon courage. Well, today we're going to be talking about uncommon work. And I'll tell you what, just talking, uh, uh, just saying that out loud, it's really not very sexy. You know, I, I got to be honest with you. You know, as a pastor, I, there, there are some things that I talk about, and I'm like, oh, I love getting into this one. It's so awesome, and it's deep, and it, it goes like this, and it's got something to do with the universe. Today, we're going to be talking about work, uncommon work, and how God is interested And we're going to find out how much he's interested in how we do our work. But that will lead us into another conversation that we have to start with. Uh, And I love this church because, you know, sometimes I have to talk about things that people will tell me, I can't believe you talk about that at church. And it's like, I have to talk about some stuff at church. Um, So today we're going to be talking about Paul's going to be using some verses that might throw you for a loop a little bit. And today we're going to just have a moment where we talk about the issue of slavery. Um, In the verses that you're about to hear, you're going to hear the word slavery used, master and slave, used in context. We need to know right up front that that was the condition of the world that the Apostle Paul was in at that particular moment. There were different kinds of slaves in that culture. The type of slavery that was part of American history was at that time and today condemned. Uh, Chattel slavery was condemned in scripture. So as you're going to hear these words, master and slave, some of you, there's these TikTok philosophers that are out there. And if you don't know what TikTok is, yeah, good for you. And then there's Instagram, there's Facebook, there's Reels, there's all that sort of stuff. I stay up with it. I like to be in and listen to what's being said, that the scriptures are misogynist, they're racist, and they're pro-slavery. Okay? Um, Let me just say, those people are, uh, the best way to say this, those people are stupid, okay? I, I'm going to be honest with you. It's because they have chosen to make have an opinion about something that if they investigated it and read the scriptures, they would find out that what they were saying was wrong. So I would have to believe they're either ignorant or they're, they are intentionally propagating a lie. The Bible has always condemned the slavery that happened in the United States. Always has condemned it. And though the Old Testament did not abolish slavery, which was prevalent in all societies, it was one of the first to regulate the treatment of slavery, to give slaves rights, uh, to treat them with, with dignity as humans. Every seven years, they would be released and allowed to go out and establish their own lives. They were allowed at that point to decide whether or not they wanted to be uh, part of the family. But it's really interesting in the Hebrew scriptures, you can see that when the slaves were released, the Hebrews were required to provide the slaves with the resources to start a new life. So what happened in America? I got to be honest with you, because it got, it was wrong on all levels. It was, uh, and, and so... I mean, Susan will tell you, I just, this whole week I've been standing in the kitchen with a cup of coffee, leaning up, and I'll just constantly say to her, it's like, what the heck happened? How can, we, how can a country that is built on such beautiful biblical concepts, rich concepts, behave so poorly on this subject? And, it's, and, it's, and I'm kind of like, how does that happen? Well, I think it happens when one people group dehumanizes or, or redefines what personhood is to another people group for personal advantage. And that's what happened. Um, they, we just decided 
that the uh, African people were subspecies. And I don't know how that happened. It, it was wicked. And I know all of us are stunned by it, is that we reduced them from being persons. We saw it again take place with who? Adolf Hitler, who decided that the Jews were subspecies. Anytime a culture reduces the personhood of another person for its own rights, we run into a great sin. And you say, well, we would never do that again. So why are we arguing over whether or not a child is a person in the womb or not? Because whenever we can change the status of a person, we can change the rights that we give it. Yes. Just, just want to let you know, we're not out of the woods yet, but we can learn from those who've gone before us, even in their mistakes. So the Old Testament, actually, when the slave was released, you had to send them out with stuff so that they could establish a new life. Then comes the Apostle Paul. As a proxy for Christ, it's like, well, why didn't he attempt to free the slaves? Well, first of all, right after Jesus, he's the... Well, even more than Jesus, if you'll let me say something like that. He's the first one to be delivering this message of Christ to the Gentile world around the Mediterranean. He wants to establish them in Christ. He wants them to be embedded in Christ because he's so confident that if people will get the mercy, the truth, and the compassion of God right, it will begin to disseminate through society in all levels, whether it's how we uh, do families, how we do marriage, how we treat our neighbor, how we, how we do our jobs, what we're going to talk about today. And so what the Apostle Paul, on limited amount of time, had to decide that, listen, I need to get Christ into them. I'm not here to get abolition into them. But I believe if I get Christ into them, abolition will eventually follow. It's kind of like if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, you treat him how to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. And that's, Paul was out there presenting Christ. But I will tell you this, based upon everything the Apostle Paul says, and we'll see today, but also in all of his epistles, implies that if he had been alive in America during the time of slavery, he would have been an active force against it and abolishing it in our country. Okay, so I, I, I want you to, so anybody who's telling you that the Bible is supporting slavery is absolutely out of their minds. They're not reading the scriptures right. But also we need to remember this. In America, it was through the hope and the teachings of the scriptures that abolitionists and slaves were able to endure and then finally secure the beginnings of freedom. It was through the preaching of the gospel. I was listening to an atheist the other day. He was a little bit older than me, and uh, he was an Oxford professor. And I kind of, I like to listen to top shelf guys. You know, the, the Instagram level, it's not really where it's at. You, you want to listen to some of the top thinkers, especially somebody opposing the Christian faith. You want to hear what their good arguments are. And so I was listening to him, and he's an anthropologist, sociologist, and he was talking about that even though he doesn't believe in God, he said there is a clear line that you have the Greeks and then you have the Romans, you have the barbarians, you have um, uh, the Vikings, you have all this stuff. And he says, and then you end up with this kind of like uh, this Western civilization, you, the rise of democracy and human dignity and the enlightenment and all these other things. And and he said, I've gone through it, and I, to my own chagrin, I have to admit, it seems to be Christianity that brought it about. So I want you to know that as we're going through the scriptures, you're going to hear the word slave, and you're going to hear the word master. But I don't want you to immediately plug it into a, um, an American slavery bias and therefore ignore it but rather I want you to hear it the way that God wants it communicated. So why is God interested in our work? Um, it's not just a job, it's an expression of your faith. Back in the 70s and 80s, which I had an opportunity to be a part of, it was so cool to be, grow up in the 70s. 
I mean, uh, I mean it, it really was. I mean, I was a 60s guy, but I was more of a early 70s, late 70s, you know, rock and roller kind of guy. I mean, it was a really interesting time. But the Navy had an advertisement, uh, an advertisement campaign that showed pictures like this. And as a young, impressionable 17, 18-year-old, you see that submarine pop out of the water and all that power and all that. It was like, oh, it's like I want to be a part of that. But their slogan was this. It's not just a job, it's an adventure. And I tell you what, that got into me. Uh, and I mean, of course, it would catch anybody's attention if you saw something like that. But that wasn't the ad that closed the deal for me. This was the one that closed the deal for me. Is that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, that's not just a job. That's an adventure right there. You know, I, I was, I like to say that I went into a, uh, the military because I wanted to uphold uh, democracy in the world. Uh, but no, I, I really wanted to travel and as many, meet as many different kinds of women as possible. That was, that was my mission statement at the age of 18. Um, but what I did discover as a result of being a part of the Navy is that it wasn't just a job. It was an adventure, and I was so glad for being a part of it. But it's true of all our jobs, no matter what they are. It's not just a job. It's an expression of your faith. And we're going to take a look at this, but your job is the place where you will interface and interact with the world the most. Think about it. You will spend one-third of your life doing your job. It will be where you will interface with the world the most. And also, in addition to that, it's the part of the world that will probably inter interact with your brain the most. I mean, because I'll be awake at 2 o'clock in the morning. And I'll be thinking, you know, things like, oh, man, you need to be a better pastor. You need to, you need to deal with that. The roof is leaking. You need to, uh, it's like, you better, you need to start working on raising better, you know, not better, but leaders who, who are better trained. And you need to start doing this. And you need to, and, and, and I'll stay awake for hours thinking about my job. I'll think about the philosophy of theology. I'll be thinking about how am I doing, how, how everybody else is doing, the arguments I'm going to have with somebody, the conflict I'm going to have, the job, all that stuff preoccupies our mind. So it is where we interface with the world, the marketplace the most, and yet it's one, also one of the places that preoccupies our minds the most. Your job is where you get to display your character, your heart, and you get to do it through the quality of your job, how you do your job, and how you create environments in that space. Most of us will not be hired to be preachers in a job place. We'll be hired to do tasks, to teach, to lead, to fix, to repair, to build, all the different things that you could possibly do. But it will be there that you'll be able to create environments where you'll be able to display your character the most. So your job is really important to God and how you do it, God wants it to be uncommon. One of my favorite verses that impacted me early in my Christian life came out of Philippians 2.14. It was actually something that God used to correct me because my attitude wasn't right, but it still works today. Paul said, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Well, we could just stop right there. I mean, just think about how you do your job. I mean, do it. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Yeah, but Pastor Paul, you don't know what I do. Well, Paul did. The scriptures does. God does. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? Well, we, we could just close in prayer right now, and that will change everybody's work environment. Absolutely. But he says, do it without grumbling and disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. See, our, the way that we do our jobs is an opportunity for us to shine as lights in the world. It's our opportunity to illuminate the world around us. And this really 
enslaved me as a young sailor in the Navy. I had just become a Christian, and uh, I mean, I got like wicked saved. I mean, like awesome saved, and like uh, like as soon as I got saved, it was like I the whole. I mean, I really got the Holy Spirit fell on me. It was kind of weird, but it happened. Holy Spirit fell on me, and I went from somebody who couldn't finish college to all of a sudden devouring Scripture like it was nobody's business, getting into. Uh, systematic theology and philosophy and all this other stuff. And it was like, bah, 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 it came real fast to me. So, I mean, so it was like, I was getting it. It's like Christianity is, is absolutely awesome. And I was beginning to develop arguments on how to, you know, help people come to Christianity. So I had all that in me, had gotten saved, and I got orders from my detailer in the Navy that I was being transferred from the National Security Agency to the USS Sierra. Now, the National Security Agency is up in Maryland on Fort Meade, and it is, you know, the NSA. It is the, uh, you know, kind of like the spy house of, uh, of America. It's, uh, we feed the uh, CIA their information. So it's, you know, the satellite guys, the Cold War guys. It, absolutely incredible. I was a part of uh, the cryptology uh, community of the Naval Security Group activity, and, and it was like really cool to be a part of. The great thing about it was that I, get to be, I got to be around uh, the latest technology. The Cray computer, the Cray 1 had just been invented, and that was a computer that was so fast that it required liquid nitrogen to cool its circuits. I mean, and, but its, it's processing power was, was staggering. I had an opportunity to work, and IBM would invent mainframe systems, and then before they would go into the public, they would, the Department of Defense would get first shot at latest technology. And so I remember we had this one system that I was working on that after I got out of the Navy, about, you know, five, about three, three years later after getting out of the Navy, I went looking for a job and, and that computer system was just arriving in the public sector. And I remember going up and applying for a job and they said, yeah, we're getting this new system. And I said, yeah, I've got four years' experience on it. And they're like, you're lying. That system just came out. And I'm like, well, it was, it's been around a little bit longer than that. And I've had experience. And they, I mean, literally hired me on the spot. So it was really, I mean, everything that you were part of was amazing. You know, uh, subs, Russians, uh, MiGs, uh, SR-72s, do UFOs really exist? All this stuff. But one of the things about the Navy is, is they only let you be happy for so long. They, uh, you have what's called a sea rotation. Uh, so that I had just spent four years in the state-of-the-art location that it was like, okay, we need to send him to a ship. And so they sent me to Charleston, South Carolina to board the USS Sierra, which was the oldest ship in the Navy at the time. Okay. It was like, it had seen action in the Philippines in World War II. And the ship would go out, it would break in Charleston Harbor, and it would have to be towed back in. And I got stationed on this ship. And so I went from this high-tech computers to computers that were easily, I mean, well, I can't say 30 years old because we didn't have computers 30 years old at that point, but they were antiquated by the time I, I got there. And I remember... I hated my job. And I let everybody know about, this is a stupid computer. This is ridiculous. I can't believe we got to work in this environment. This is crazy. There's no air conditioning here. I can't believe this, you know, this could be done way better. And I remember I, after like a, a couple months of being there, I got my first set of evaluations. Thank God they weren't my last. And the senior chief pulled me aside and said, you are the worst sailor I have ever encountered in the Navy. And what had happened is that... Uh, I thought I was smarter than everybody else. I thought my experience qualified me to condescend to everyone and to complain about everything. And when I got that, I realized that my understanding of scripture, my understanding of philosophy was totally undercut. Nobody wanted to listen to what I thought about God because I sucked at my job. And that's why it's so important on how you do your job. And God's very interested on in how you do your job. One third of your time on earth is very important to God. And he speaks to how you do this job. 
So let's get into it. Uh, Paul, in Colossians 3, starting at verse 22, starts to talk about how to do your job uncommon. And I'm going to tell you, this is going to, some of this is going to be offending. Um, especially, um, yes, it's going to be offending. But it's okay to be offended. It's okay to allow the wounds of a good friend to hurt you so that you can become something better. And that's what God does with his word. He sometimes wounds us so that we can become lights in the midst of a crooked generation. So here's, here he goes. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bond servants fairly, uh, justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Okay, this is not American slavery. This is not that at all. But yet, there, you could swap out, and we will swap out, bond servant for employees and masters for bosses in the context of what Paul is talking about. So I just want to take a couple of the lines apart. Bond servants or employees, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters or bosses, not with eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Obey in everything. Obey in everything. Now I can just tell you, the word obey is not, you're not liking that word right now, are you? We are in the world of your personal civil liberties and the idea that you would have to conform your behavior or your efforts to the command of somebody else does not sit well with us as 21st, I would say enlightened, but I don't think we are. Um, the Apostle Paul says, you want to do your, own jo uh, your job uncommon? Do what you're told to do. Do what you're told to do. Even, and let me throw a couple of these out there, even when you're smarter than your boss, because everybody's smarter than their boss. Everybody works for an idiot. I mean, you ask the staff, I'm a blooming idiot. I mean, it's like everybody works for an idiot. But it's like, no, I only obey because, you know, if, if he knows or she knows more than I do. And the apostle is saying like, here, no, no, I want you to obey in everything. Do what you're told to do, even if you're smarter than your boss. Can you imagine that that would change the environment? Obey in everything, even when you're tired. Obey in everything when you think you should be getting paid more money. See, we will sometimes meter out our obedience or our follow-through based upon our compensation. That is so common. There's nothing uncommon about that. As long as I get paid what I think I deserve, I'll do a good job. Well, they don't pay me enough to do a good job. I mean, that is so common. And the apostle's like, listen, yeah, well, if, if you want to be as twisted as everybody else around you and jagged as everybody else around you, fine, go ahead that way. But if you want to be lights in the midst of darkness in this generation, then, then do what you're called to do even when you're not even being paid enough to do it. Also, obey in everything, even when no one else is. I've been a part of those environments, especially when I was in the Navy, where you're like, hey, dude, chill out. This is a run-out-the-clock scenario. We just need you to just chill out. It's like, yeah, but they told me I needed to be here at 8. Nobody gets here at 8, you know? 9, 9, 15, it's like, that's when people get here. It's like, yeah, but I was told I had to put all this away. And so what you'll begin to have is that we will begin to change the way that we do our jobs based upon the mediocrity of everybody else around us. You don't really got to check that. You really don't have to sign off on that. You don't really have to do that kind of quality of work. That's what they say, but you, you really don't have to do any of that. And the apostle says, no. If you were told that you need to be there at 8 o'clock, you need to be there at 8 o'clock. Yeah, but it's stupid. Why do I have to be here at 8 o'clock? 
Well, it's like, that's not your job. It's your job isn't in the description to figure out why your boss is stupid. It's like, if it is, well, then do that job. But if it's not, then you be there at eight o'clock. Say, well, that's weird, man. Yeah, that's exactly what God's trying to do. You know, it's kind of like, um, he wants us to be uncommon. Also, I think obeying everything is, is to respect the authority structure. It's like, because otherwise, if there isn't an authority structure, even in a church, if there isn't a, a, an authority structure, we kind of just collapse into chaos. Everybody doing what everybody thinks that they should do. And so he's like, no, I want you to respect authority. I don't want you to chop down your boss. I don't want you to take their legs out from underneath them. I want you to do your job. I want you to do what you're paid to do. And I know some of you are like, well, what if he's saying unethical stuff? Okay. Most of us here are not in that conundrum. So stop using that as, as a red herring to try to get out of doing everything that your boss. But if they are in conflict with a greater morality, then you have the right to challenge that. And I'm willing to bet that your work system has, a, has an HR department by which you can file those kinds of grievances. But let's, let's kind of move on from that. Then the apostle goes on. He says about doing our job, obeying and everything, not by eye service as people pleasers. This literally means, eye service means rendering service only while under inspection. Um, people pleasers in its original Greek means man quarter. You're courting the man. And I don't think I need to break this out a lot. I think it's absolutely hilarious that 2,000 years ago, in the middle of all this rich theology and, and, and doctrine and Christ, that they had eye, eye service people, just like we do today. You know, the people who just kind of look busy. I love the bumper sticker that says, uh, Jesus is coming back, looks busy. You know, it's kind of like this idea of just like whenever your boss walks into the room, you change your conversation. Did anybody ever rehearse this? Am I the only guy that actually rehearsed this? Like, like we'd be talking about stuff and be like, all of a sudden, oh, here he comes. And it'll be like, man, man, these TPS forms, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, but it'd be like, you, you try to look busy and, and the apostle's like, listen, stop being like that. Stop pretending to work. Stop spending all your time talking about pretending to work. You know what I mean? We'll go to work and then we'll talk about our work. And the apostle's like, stop talking about your work and just do your work. Stop, you know, just doing eye service and pretending to do it. Also, what's implied here as people pleasers is stop using tactics to try to please your boss. I Googled this one because this is a big thing now, and you can YouTube it, that there are tactics on how to kind of schmooze your boss. And so I, I watched a bunch of them, and I was like, yeah, there's actual training, really formal training on how to win your boss over. And let me give you a couple of them just in case you're, you want to do this. Um, uh, you want to be a, a people pleaser. Mirroring. Mirroring is a tactic. Is that whatever your, the mannerism of your boss is, you mirror that. So if he folds his arms or she folds her arms, you fold your arms. If, if they are kind of like talking with their hands and you talk with your hands. And I was listening to it. I'm like, how, how, how often does the staff do this to me? You know? And so starting on Monday, in the conversations I'm going to have, I'm going to start going like that. Just kind of like, you know, doing that. And anybody that mirrors me, you're out of here. But that's, that's a tactic where people will mirror you in order to be kind of like, oh, they're just like me. Another one is uh, ingratiating yourself to the other person. Another one is nodding all the time. I see this on Sunday mornings. Like, um, it's funny, I can look casually over everybody and everybody is to a degree, there's one or two of you that will fall asleep and 
you know, you don't think I see you, but you kind of, but that's okay. If you need a good night's rest, I'm glad you got it here. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll look around and see that. But it is interesting that if I kind of lock in on one particular person, all of a sudden they start nodding. So, and, and what does that do? That makes me feel good. Like, oh, yes. And there are some people in the auditorium that I look to see if they're nodding, whether or not I'm, I'm doing good or not. And so if you're around your boss and you're, uh, he's talking or she's talking, just kind of just start nodding your head, nodding your head. They'll like you so much more for it. So for the rest of this, the time in this service, if you guys could just kind of shake your heads a little bit so I could feel good about myself, I'd really appreciate that. That would go well. Um, and the other thing that you do is be quiet. Just listen intently, focus on them. They love that. And then the third, I mean, the last technique is tell them something very personal. Share something very personal about that. Therefore, they now feel like you've endeared yourself to them or they've endeared themselves to you, that you really value them as a confidant. Um, all techniques on how to get your boss to like you or to schmooze your boss. And the Apostle Paul is saying, how about you just do your job? How about showing up on time, doing quality work, creating an agreeable atmosphere, and doing good work? That's the way that you do it. The apostle goes on to say that doing your work with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. You know, it's like this idea that even if your boss isn't in the room, that I'm not saying that God's like Santa He's watching you and checking to see who's naughty or nice or anything like that. But it's the idea of understanding that as a Christian, you're not just working for the one that's in the room. You're, you're working for the one that's over the room, the one that's over your life. So if the boss is out of the room, that's okay. The boss is still over the room, that you're not working just for the person who pays you. But I like the phrase, that says, working with sincerity of heart. And I kind of flush this out a little bit in its original language, and it, and it means about these three things. It means working without self-seeking, working with generosity, and with singleness of mind. And I was thinking about that. What do you, what do you mean self-seeking? Is that you, you work because it's you, because it's him. You're not just doing it at the quality of your paycheck. You're doing it with the sincerity of your heart. I want to do a good job. Not I want to do a good job or I'm going to get fired. I want to do a good job because I want to get a better position. I want to do a good job so that I will get paid more. It's like, no, you want to do a good job because it's you, because you want to be a light in the world, that you want to represent him. You know, because it's important that I do a good job. And Paul says, do it with sincerity of heart. You can get anybody to, you know, you can get anybody to do anything if you pay them the right amount of money. That doesn't mean that it's like, well, they're really a good employee. No, you've just stroked their motivation. That doesn't mean they're a good employee. You've just stroked their their. their um, their desires for what they want in the future. But Paul's like, listen, I want you to do it out of sincerity of heart. You want to do a good job. Why? I want to honor him. Yeah, but what if you don't, what if the boss doesn't give you recognition? What if he gives credit to so-and-so instead of you? That's okay. I'm doing it because I'm doing it out of sincerity of heart. I'm doing it with generosity. That's real big, is that I'm not holding back until I get paid more. It's not like, well, yeah, but I don't get paid to be nice. I don't get paid to, to stay late. I don't get paid to um, fill in the gaps at work. I don't get paid to that. And, and Paul's like, no, no, I want you to do your job with sincerity of heart. I want you to do it generously. You know, I, this happens to me all the time because, you know, it's easy to become a pastor and, and, and to say it's not my job. You know, it's like, that's not my job. But it was trained in me by the, by the pastoral team that mentored me to do ministry. It's like, listen, you know, if you're passing trash 
pick it up. Yeah, but I'm the pastor. I don't take trash out. We had a, we had a trivia party last Friday. We had a lot of fun doing that. And so I'm like, I, I, you know, I could have just gone home. It's like, okay, lock it up. See you guys. Great party. Enjoyed it. And because I was trained by, by men who were like, listen, you need to do your job generously. You need to do it um, the way as unto the Lord. It was like, I'm like, okay. And so I get myself some trash. And I unfortunately picked like the biggest, worst trash can, I mean bag, dragging it out to the dumpster. It's leaking stuff out onto the sidewalk. I'm like, I swing it, trash flies out the butt of it. I'm sorry, that probably wasn't the best description. But trash just flies out of the bag. So I'm picking up trash all around the dumpster. I'm having to pick up stuff and it's like, boy, that's, I'm not going to do that again. Oh, yes, I am going to do that again. As long as trash needs to go out, then I'll do it. We have a policy here at Crosstown that if you get hired here, we have a policy called all hands on deck. And all hands on deck means if something affects this church, like a flood, I don't care if you're the, uh, the piano player. I don't care if you're the accountant. I don't care if you're the, the philosopher. You better get your boots on because we got to clean up the church. And, that, and everybody here agrees with that. Why? Because we are called to do what we're called to do with generosity. And then I love the last part that breaks out of this word sincerity. Singleness. Is that it gets your full attention. This is where I get, this is where I get bothered the most. I am ADD, but that's not an excuse to violate the word of God. I have a propensity to get distracted real well. Like shopping for new wheels for my vehicle. I will be working on a sermon, be clicking along, and I'll be like, wow, there, there, and it's like, that works out great. And all of a sudden, it'll be double click over here, eBay. It's like 22 inch rims. I wonder what they would look like with uh, BF Goodrich KO2s on them. And it's like, I wonder if I could get those on my car. How much of my car would I have to cut away in order to get those tires on it? YouTube, how to cut away around the wheel well. And all of a sudden, an hour goes by, and it's like, what have you been doing? Yeah, I'm not the only one, right? Have you ever kind of liked Cyber, Cyber Monday at work? I mean, they might as well just send you home. You know, they might as well just send you, because you're not really, or do you have a little pop-up screen? Did you have real quick, you could double click and all of a sudden spreadsheet pops up and this is they walk out, a shift, all click, whatever environment it is and all of a sudden Amazon's back up and you're shopping for furniture. <laughs> the apostle's like, hey, I get that. That's very common. Everybody knows what you're talking about. Knock it off. I want you to be, I want you to have singleness of mind. Do what you're there to do. Whatever it is to do, I want you to focus on your work. It will be noticed for the kingdom's sake. So here we are. We're just like one verse into this already, and, and it's already challenged our worth ethic. And so the apostle then backs up a little bit, kind of like he was zoomed in, and now he backs out. He zoomed in on servants. He backs out. He's going to say something now that overarches everybody, and then he's going to zoom back in on bosses. So... Every one of us here, whether you're an entrepreneur, an owner of a company, you're up on the uh, authority scale, whatever, don't worry, we're about to go into that direction as well. But listen to what he backs out, and he, and he says to everybody, he says, whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, as for the Lord, you are serving the Lord. This is powerful because you need to stop thinking small about your job. He says, whatever you do. It's like, no, no, you're, you're talking to me if I'm uh, the head surgeon, right? The head lawyer, the, the uh, superintendent of uh, something. It's like, he, no, he, he brushes all that aside. He says, whatever you do, if you're staying at home with the kids, if you're a school teacher, if you're a plumber, if you work at Gerald's, 
you know, rotating tires, if you're a surgeon, if, if you're a salesperson, whatever it may be, the apostle says, overarching, I don't care what you do, but whatever you do, do it heartily, throw your heart into it, and ask for the Lord. That is big. We've gotten distracted by the person that we work for. But as for the Lord, you're not doing it for men. You're doing it for the Lord, and you're serving the Lord Christ. That should change the way that you show up on Monday. Bosses, owners, entrepreneurs, and employees alike, it's not just a job. It's an expression of your faith. So now we're going to zoom back in. Now he's talking to entrepreneurs, bosses, and owners. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. See, because a lot of us will use our position as a means to belittle somebody look down on somebody, get over on somebody. Because we are over them in structure, we get over on them in life. And Paul's like, oh, knock that stuff right off. I want you to deal with them justly. And I let's say that word justly would be to be just morally with them. You know, it means you don't suspend the morality of Christianity just because you're somebody's boss. Um, I, I'm, I'm always amazed by uh, Ben Acres Sr. And uh, the reason why is because he has an impeccable work ethic. But, and so the, did you know that he was the head of a, uh, a roofing, uh, uh, I'm sorry if it's like a uh, roofing material plant here in Charleston when they were filming The Notebook, the movie The Notebook. And they filmed part of it at where he worked. And so, I mean, he's right there. I mean, he's in the Nicholas Sparks. They got one of his employees is in it. Well, the, the director of the movie said, hey, it's going to say Acme and Sons on the water tower. And uh, he said, we can put Acre and Sons on the water tower. Would you like us to do that? Well, I'll tell you what. I would have done that in a skinny minute but not Ben Acre. He was like, no, um, I'm getting paid to work for this company, not to have my name put up in a movie. I don't know about you. I would have, I would have failed that one. But it's like, you could have used your leverage. It's like, no, my leverage is not to get over, but rather my leverage is to enable. And that's what the apostle is saying here. See, this is not American slavery. This is treating people justly. And let me say, that's not only in morality, but it's also in compensation. Justly means if they're giving you a day's work and they're giving you good work and they're working hard, be just with them. You pay them what they deserve. Yeah, but I can get over on them. Okay, I'm just going to step into this because I don't know when to shut up, okay? If you think you can rip them off because they're Mexican, you are sinning against God, okay? Yeah, but they're not citizens. First of all, you don't always know that. And second of all, that's racist. So if, yeah, but I can get some Mexican guy to do my lawn. Well, you find out what the white guys are charging and you pay that Mexican guy the right job, the right amount. Yeah, but I can get a cheaper. It's like, I'm just telling you, I love my job. <laughs> this is so cool because we want to bring the kingdom of God to earth. We want to stop. Let's not do it again. It already happened to the blacks. Let's not do it to the unborn and let's not do it to the Mexicans. Let's stop injustice now and treat each other. Okay, so he goes into, that was exciting. Let's go into the next part. Um, he says, uh, 
I only get emotional when I, f- I feel this overwhelming, it's a spiritual thing, overwhelming like God is saying, there you go, there you go. Don't be afraid, just say what they need to hear. So please excuse me, it's not, not that I'm a sissy, not that there's anything wrong with that. No, but <laughs> I don't buy that for a second. Uh, so he says, uh, uh, deal justly and fairly. Now, I love the word fairly because it means with equity, not leading to show, uh, uh, favoritism. It means like, yeah, hey, your buddies, they're your fishing buddies. They're your football friends. They're whatever it is. And, you know, it's like, no, 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 you don't need to play that on the job. But I love the word because the word equity comes through here, meaning that bosses treat them with equity, not equal among themselves alone, but equal to you. Just because they work for you doesn't mean they are below you as humans. Oh, I remember this. I remember in my neighborhood, I, love, I have a great neighborhood, love the people. This, this, this family doesn't live there any longer. We drove them out. Um, but I, I remember Brian, my son-in-law, who's a youth pastor, who is Filipino, was working in my front yard with me. We were laying inside. And this old guy drives up in his golf cart and and he calls me over and I walk over and I say, hey man, how you doing? He said, good. He said, I see you got your Mexican doing some work. I said, first of all, you, I won't say what I said. I said, first of all, he's not Mexican. He's Filipino, you racist. And he is my son-in-law, you know, Okay, can I just say, just for fun, this is such a problem with me. I hate it so much. When me and Brian go to Lowe's together, um, we'll shop, and I can't lift stuff. So Brian will pick up like a 50-pound bag of, you know, sacrete, and he'll carry it, and I'll like, dude, can you carry this? And I'm like, and then when we get to the register, I will try to take it from him so I don't look like, and so that I don't look like I'm like, my Mexican guy is doing this for me, and I'm some old white guy, you know? I mean, it's like, so Brian goes worse. He'll start going, hey, puppy, puppy. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you need to knock it off. <laughs> uh, and I'll tell you, the apostle is saying, when are we going to get dignity right. We can grieve over American racism of the past, but if we're not careful, if we don't live uncommon, we'll do it again to another people group, to anybody. And it may be people who are racially and ethnically the same as us, but they just work for us. And Paul's saying, no, I want you to treat them with equity. I'm telling you, Oh, he goes on even further in Ephesians 6, 9, which is kind of like, like a repeat of Colossians 3, 2. He adds this one little phrase, stop threatening. Stop threatening. If you have to threaten people to get them to do their job, you probably suck as a leader. Now, I'm not talking about, hey, listen, you're supposed to be here at eight. Um, you're not doing your work. I need to turn you over to HR. That's not threatening. That's accountability. Okay, that's a whole different thing. But I'm talking about, people will say to me, yeah, I, was, I had a fallout with my boss and he F-bombed me and he called me a blooming idiot and all that. I'm like, what? That goes on in America? Oh yeah, yeah, they just, they just blow me up. It's like, you're kidding. You didn't knock him out. It's like, no, no, no. And the apostle says, knock it off. Stop threatening people. Stop bullying people. Stop. But a lot of us, we think that once we get the... We get, become the boss. We think, now it's my turn. I get to treat people the way that I want to treat them. It's like, no, you don't. Not if you're a Christian. That's the common way of doing it. But the uncommon way is that you are light in the midst of a perverse generation. So let me finish up. Not totally finished here, but I need to say this one part. About not working. If we're going to talk about work, we've got to talk about not wanting to work. Because the scripture has something to say about that also. Proverbs 14, 23 says, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk 
tends only to poverty. That's all you're doing is you're tending to poverty. And so let me, not only poverty of, of, of economy, but poverty of mind and psychology. Is that when we choose not to work, when we don't get involved, when we don't get our, there's something therapeutic to the human brain when we are involved in doing some sort of work. And when we are not involved in work and we just talk, it leads to poverty. Paul goes on to say, and this is really going to shock you, this is in the Bible, 2 Thessalonians 3. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. It's like, what? What? That's a Christian principle? Oh, yeah. If you don't want to work, fine. Cool. Keep your civil liberties. You just don't get any food. For we hear that there are some among you who walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Wow, isn't it crazy how important this is to God? In 1 Timothy, he even goes farther in, in chapter 5, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and he is worse than an unbeliever. Like, wait a minute, you're telling me that if I don't provide for my family, if I'm able to do so, that, yeah, Paul's like, dude, you've just denied the faith. You're like, you need to get a job. You need to get to work. So let me just say this in response to this, all that. Welfare is only for those who are not faring well. Welfare is only for those who are not faring well. And there are times when people don't fare well. Okay, there are times when I'm glad we're a part of a Christian society that comes along people who, who are struggling with disabilities or hardships of life or, or all the various reasons that are out there and that we have a society that when you're not faring well, we will help you with welfare. But only for those who are not faring well. Otherwise, get a job, work. And the last is this. Retirement is an opportunity to stop laboring, but not a call to stop serving. Retirement is an opportunity to stop laboring, but not a call to stop serving. Serving. So the idea that you, get, you turn 65 and a half, well, it won't be 67 until I get around to it. Uh, 67, then you get to just kind of like, hey, that's it. There ain't no, any, there's no Bible support for that. Yeah, maybe you're not laboring, but you're called to serve. You're, you're called to contribute, to be a part of life. And I know our culture tries to get people 65 and 67 and older, kind of get them out of the way, and, and you're not important. Well, I'm here to tell you, if you're my age or older, you're important to this society. You have things to give this society. You've got the power of mentoring, the power of serving. That's why when you see a man who stops working at 65, he's usually dead by 75. Why? Because it's like, we just kind of get lost. There's something about the power of working that helps the psychology of mankind. We were called and created to do that. And any scheme that like Amway, boy, I am not pulling the punches on anybody, am I? Any scheme, pyramid scheme, that says that, hey, if you get enough people to serve your to sell our detergent so that when you turn 40, you don't have to work anymore and you can do Viking cruises for the rest of your life. They are trying to sell you hell. It will ruin your soul. You're supposed to be working. There's dignity in work. Well, yeah, in your job, Pastor Paul, you're a pastor. It's like, no, whatever you do, do as unto the Lord the Lord Christ. Whatever you do. 
So if you're my age or older and you're retired, um, I'm willing to bet there's a whole psychological cycle that particularly men go through with this and why they end up dying is that uh, we were told that we were no good after that point. I recommend you go get another job. Well, I don't need another job. That's okay. Um, the world needs you to get another job. The world needs you to, I know it sounds stupid, but working at Walmart, being a greeter, let me just tell you, I, I'm around people all my life. You might be the only smile, especially if you serve with sincerity of heart, that most people will ever get. I love it when I go to St. Francis Hospital and I go in there and, and some 85-year-old woman is, walking, is working behind the desk. Oh, sure, she's a little slow on the computer, you know? I'll be like, yeah, I'm looking for so-and-so, what room are they in? And it's like, what was the spelling on that again? And then it's like, a, yeah. but you know what the Lord taught me? It's like, this, this is a person that said, I am not giving up and I want to contribute. So ma'am, you can take as long as you want going through that computer. Don't let anybody shelve you. You are valuable no matter what age you are. And if you're not doing something, the apostle Paul said, we command, and I think he kind of backed up a little bit. He said, tell such people, we command, or we encourage in the Lord. He's kind of like, uh, that was a little harsh. It's like, we encourage in the Lord. Let's get back to work. And it, and it may not be wrenching things like you did when you were younger, but we, we need your mentorship. We need your leadership. We need your calm voice. And it may not be the fact, it may not be the way you do your job, It'll be that when you're that 75-year-old woman and you're working next to that 16-year-old girl, she needs to hear you. She needs to hear how you faced situations in her life. Don't let people remove you from the work that God has called you, enabled you to do. So, wow, we've gone through a lot. I can say this, God is very interested in how you live and do your work. How you do your job, it's an expression of what you think about him, not what you think about your job. That's what your work is. It really is an expression about what you think about him, not what you think about your job. So stop telling everybody about what you think about your job and what you think about your boss or the people that you serve, or your customers. And realize that what you do, you do as an expression about what you think about him. Let me just read this one verse over again. It changed my life. And I wanna let you know that when I got offended by God, when God offended me as a young sailor, when I left the military, when I signed all the papers, got my duffel bag and I was off the, uh, coming off of the ship, that senior chief said, hey, can I give you a ride home? He was the last sailor I served with. And he told me, I know we didn't get off to a good start, but you are one of the best sailors I have ever served with. He said, you really turned it around. That was the last thing he ever said to me. man, that just made me, it was kind of like, I just had lifted up a form of worship to God. That meant everything I said about Jesus to that man would now be heard by his ears because of the quality of my work. Here's how important you are. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and common and twisted generation among whom you are called to shine as lights of the world. Father, we thank you so much. And as the psalmist prayed, we pray, Lord God, let the favor of the Lord our God be on us and establish the work of our hands yes establish the work 
of our hands because it matters to you, God. So right now we come and we receive the work of your hands, the body and blood of your son, Jesus. He gave it all. He did his job and he did it with sincerity of heart and he did it unto his father. Today, the way he did his job inspires us to live new lives. Today, you've let us know, God, that the way that we do our job inspires others 